Hello. Last time I preached on a Sunday, I was six months pregnant and finding it a little bit uncomfortable. You'd be happy to hear that I gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. Her name is Zamara. She is a joy. Um, I'm loving motherhood. Today, uh, we are going to be looking at what it means to live life in the spirit. And we'll be reading from Romans 8, verse 1 to 12. Just a quick summary of Romans 8, verse 11 to 12 is Paul is saying that if you are in Christ, the spirit lives in you. And therefore, you have an obligation to live according to the things of the spirit and not the flesh. Before I start the main part of this message, I, I actually want to share a story of a woman who lived her life just like that. Her name was Rebecca Protten. She was a mixed race woman who was born into slavery in 1718 in the Caribbean island of Antigua. When she was 12, her owner died and Rebecca was given her freedom. And by that time she'd learned to read and write, she'd heard the gospel and become a believer and follower of Jesus. Now, Rebecca was no longer subject to enslavement. She could have just lived her life and tried to make it as comfortable as possible. Instead, she decided to live by the spirit. She joined forces with the Moravian missionaries in the island at the time. Rebecca was responsible for preaching the gospel to hundreds of enslaved Africans, risking her life and freedom to make sure that others had heard the good news of the gospel. Rebecca and her husband were imprisoned by the Dutch authorities for entering into a mixed race marriage. Whilst in prison, she prophesied her own release, saying, I would dearly love to leave this prison. If we were to leave, the saviour will send us a key, perhaps Count Zinzendorf. Now, Count Zinzendorf was the leader of the Moravian movement from Germany. And two days later, he miraculously came to the island and was able to get them out of prison. Rebecca and her husband moved to Germany where she continued to work with the Moravian movement. Unfortunately, her husband and child that you can see in this picture passed away. She later remarried and moved to Accra in Ghana with her second husband. Uh, they worked together in schools specifically for mixed race children who were as a result of colonial rule. I really wanted to include Rebecca's story in my preach, not only because she was an, a great example of someone living in the spirit, but honestly, also to broaden our view of church history. God doesn't just use European men to advance his kingdom. Rebecca broke many barriers in her time. The success of her ministry was instrumental in the success of the Protestant movement in the Caribbean and African-American churches. She was evangelizing or open air preaching years before John Wesley. She was believed to have been the first woman of African descent to be ordained in a Western Christianity, which allowed her to preach the gospel and to serve communion to fellow African people. Her fellow missionaries wrote this about her. She was very accomplished in the teachings of God. She had done the work of the Saviour by teaching African women and speaking about that which the Holy Spirit himself had shown her. 
I have found nothing in her other than a love of God and his servants. Rebecca Protten was a forerunner for me as a Caribbean woman of African descent. She was a true example of someone committed to the church and to living in the spirit. I want to give a, a big shout out to Andrew Wilson for including her story in his latest book, Remaking the World. Okay, so let's read scripture. Romans 8 verse 1 to 12. And it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live in the, in the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by, governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but in the realm of the spirit. Indeed, the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Here, Paul is contrasting the flesh and the spirit. There are two different ways to live. You can live in the flesh, which ultimately results in sin and in death, or you can live according to the spirit, which brings life and peace. It's an either or, you can't do both. They do have something in common though. Let's read um, verse five. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according, in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So the flesh has desires and the spirit has desires. We all know there are many things that the flesh desires. Here are just a few. Our flesh desires to have just one more blank. You can fill in your own blank. For some it's biscuits, for others it's sweets. For text it's Krispy Kreme donut bites. For me, it's the choice of what carbohydrate do I have when I have my family gathering? 
My family are from Jamaica, so the options are as follows. It's rice and peas, mac and cheese, fried dumpling, hardo bread, potato salad. The spirit says one, pick one, maybe two, Faria. The flesh says pick all five. We may laugh at this, but it's true. Our flesh has a desire for the things that we want. And so often it's more than what we need. Often as believers, we go through seasons of actually denying our flesh. And we, and we do this in fasting, where we say no to, to food, to remind our bodies or our flesh that we are not ruled by its desires. In January, as a church, we will be having 21 days of prayer, yay, but also of fasting to do just this, to practice denying our flesh of its desires. There are other fleshly desires, our desire for acceptance. Some of us spend so much time curating our pictures that we're going to post on social media so that we can get likes. Or we say and do things when we're with our friends, maybe our colleagues at, at work or our friends at school. We don't believe those things, but we say it or we go along with it because we don't want to be left out. Or how about this, our, our desire for control. Oftentimes in, in our culture, that's seen through how we spend and use our money. The more we have, the more we can get and the more we can control our environments. There are many other things that the flesh desires, but ultimately the desire of the flesh is to have you at the center. Your needs, your wants, your comforts, your best interests so that you can hashtag live your best life. The problem is that when we all live a life where we are at the center, we stop caring for those around us. Our desires tend to outweigh the needs of others. It produces a self-centeredness and a greed, and we get angry when our desires aren't met. The, the real problem is, is that living this way is completely opposite to the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. So what does the spirit desire? The spirit desires just that, that we live a life with Jesus at the center. I've heard Andrew use this very helpful analogy of um, living in the flesh is like swimming. So imagine you're wanting to swim from England to France. I don't know why anyone would want to do that, but some people do. If you were to do that, you're using your entire body the whole way. It's your strength. You, you might have had to train, eat certain foods, but it's your muscle. You are doing that. Uh, I can imagine even Michael Phelps would be absolutely exhausted doing that. Whereas living in the spirit is like doing the same journey, but instead getting in a sailboat. And that sailboat's name is Jesus Christ. And as you are in Christ, the wind fills the sails and moves you forward. There is a problem with this second method and it means a loss of control. For me, I would no longer have to strive and to be exhausted, but I would have to surrender control and trust in the Holy Spirit leading me. And to be honest, I've lived part, parts of my Christian life doing both, but definitely swimming desperately, trying to find my way. 
So a bit of, of my testimony. When I was 11, I went to a youth camp, much like the one we run called New Day, a lot smaller though. Um, and it was there that I met and fell in love with Jesus Christ and also felt the, the tangible presence of God at work. It was amazing. It was like electricity in the room. I went to that camp every year until I was about 18 years old. When I was 13, however, after camp, me and my brothers, we went to stay with my aunt in Birmingham and she took us to a revival meeting in a park. And so we were there. I was really excited. A lot of my camp friends were there. My camp boyfriend was there. We actually snuck off and had our very first kiss. Got back to the meeting, sat at the back, wasn't really interested in what was going on. My friends were around, but something amazing happened. And it was like all of that, uh, the, the tangible presence of God that I could feel externally when I was at camp shifted and it became an internal feeling. There's this uh, song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus and in it, it says, look full on his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's exactly what happened to me. My friends, my boyfriend, they just seemed to fade into the background and I encountered the love of God and the Holy Spirit. That night I, I thought, who do I talk to about this? I, I called my nan and I told her what happened and she said, yes, that is the Holy Spirit. She was so excited. She prayed for me that I would follow Jesus and continue to be filled with his spirit. And that's what happened. I started to have many encounters like that. And I've learned a thing or two about living life in the spirit. The first is this, reading the Bible. It's so important that as believers, we engage in scripture. The church that I grew up in was a Caribbean Pentecostal church. Worship was exciting and, and expressive and, and people spoke in tongues, but there was a real emphasis in reading scripture. So I started to read the Bible for myself. Now, hands up, I must admit, uh, I started reading the Bible for myself really to fulfill my fleshly desire to win the Sunday school Bible quiz. More specifically, I wanted to beat Roberta Walker in the Sunday School Bible Quiz. For those of you who don't know Roberta Walker, she's actually one of um, the trustees at King's, but she's also a, a friend. She's the godmother of my, of my child. I've known her for many years. She is by far the one of the smartest people I know. So when I was a young teenager, I was like, okay, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna study real hard and I'm gonna beat Roberta one day. And I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna beat her. And I did once, I think, I beat her and it was great. Thank God for his grace. Um, after my victory, I actually fell in love with scripture and I began to understand the full story of the Bible and how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. In John, John 14, Jesus tells the disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit will do. He says in verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This verse holds what I think is one of the most important aspects of life in the Spirit. 
And that is, if we are going to live a life in the Spirit, we actually need to live a life reading Scripture. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of what I have said. You know, you can only be reminded of something you've already seen or encountered. Church, I want to say that it's our responsibility as believers to engage with Scripture, to know what it says so the Holy Spirit has something to remind us of. The second thing is prayer. So I've, I've already told you I'm a, I'm a new parent um, and many things happen to you as a, a new parent. And one of them is this, that you can be in a, a crowded room, lots going on. There's other children screaming and crying. And the moment your child cries, it's like something is activated inside of you and you, you, you're, you're on go. And Tarek and I were talking about this. Um, Tarek is my husband. We were talking about this and um, we were saying it, it feels like there's this innate thing uh, like a mechanism almost built into you to respond to your child. And then he said, yeah, that may be true, but you know, I actually, I know Zamara's voice. I, I know it because I'm familiar with it. I hear it every day, several times a day, sometimes at night. So when I'm out and there's a lot of noise going on, her voice cuts through. And that's what having a life of prayer does for us as believers. Spending time in prayer, talking to God, in worship, listening to what he has to say every day, several times a day, so that when we are in the noisiness and the busyness of life, his voice cuts through. And I recognize that that's what was happening in my own life. I was reading the Bible and I was praying regularly and the Holy Spirit started to use me. On one occasion, uh, I, so I was about 18 years old and decided I was going to really walk for Jesus. I was at a youth um, convention or, or a conference and um, we were there and I decided, OK, I've got some responsibility in church I'm, and it was ministry time. I'm not going to go up for prayer. I'm going to pray for people. So I'm going around and I knew most of the young people there. I'm, I'm praying for people. I'm laying, you know, just praying for God's blessing. Then I walked over to one girl, she was knelt down, her face was down, I couldn't see her face and I didn't recognise her, but I started to pray. And the strangest thing happened. I don't know if you've ever experienced this where your, your mouth is saying something that your brain hasn't told it to say. That's what was happening to me. In fact, my brain was saying something completely different. So I was praying and I was praying about how God saw her as beautiful and how God was adorning her with, with beauty. And he was just saying how beautiful she was. And in my mind, I was like, what are you saying? What if she doesn't have a problem with how she looks? And then I started to say, and you will live and not die. And you will live and not die. And in my mind, I was going, Freya, she is a teenage girl. There is, she's not worried about dying. What are you doing? When the prayer finished, the ministry's time was going on and she stayed there. I went and sat back down. I was so dejected and I felt like I'd done something wrong. And I said, oh, okay, well, I need to wait until the ministry time is finished and I'll, I'll go and speak to her and just apologise because obviously that wasn't right. The ministry time ended some moments later and as people were coming down to sit down and I was looking for her, and I saw her and she turned around and she started to walk. And I realized that she was walking with quite a strong limp. 
And the closer she got to me, I realized that actually she wasn't a teenager. She, she was older than me and half of her face was drooped. I went over to her and I, I said, I was the one praying for you. And she said, thank you so much for praying for me. I'm in my thirties and last year I had a stroke, which is why I walk like this and why my face is like this. And my family are afraid that I, I might not live. Oh my gosh. She hugged me and was really thankful for the prayer. I burst into tears and was like, God, I can't believe you used me in this way. This was the first time I realized that if I was going to live life being led by the Holy Spirit, I needed to trust him and to not lean on my own understanding. And it's great when the Holy Spirit uses us in this way, right? I, I love that. But I have also known the Holy Spirit to convict me of my sin. So I used to work in Topshop in Bromley. I started work at 6 a.m. So I would have to get up at 5, leave the house at 6.30 to get there on time. One day I woke up and it was 8 a.m. Obviously I was late. So without even thinking, I picked up my phone, called my boss, Hi Sarah, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, my brother got into an accident last night and we were in hospital all night and that's why I was late and I'm sorry, I can't come in today. Put down the phone. As soon as I put down the phone, the Holy Spirit said, call her back and tell her you lied. No way, no way, I'm not gonna do that. He said, call her back and tell her you lied. If something was to happen to any of your brothers, you would be devastated. Call her back and tell her you lied. So I did. I called her back. I said, hi, Sarah. I lied. Uh, my brother's fine. I just woke up late and I panicked. I'm sorry. Oh, great. Can you make your way in now? It was her response. I thought I was going to lose my job. She actually, I'd worked there for many years after that. Um, and I feel like she actually really trusted me after that. In that moment, the Holy Spirit was calling me to live a life of integrity and honesty, just as I had seen in scripture. I'll end with this story. There was a time in my faith journey that I was just gonna walk away from faith. Um, I'd been to a meeting and I'd heard that when we sinned, it was like we were crucifying Christ again and again. It was like we were whipping him and causing him pain. And that message just broke me. And I decided from that moment on that I would never, ever sin again. The very next day when I failed miserably, I remember sitting on my bed and just saying, do you know what God, I can't, I can't do this. I can't keep hurting you with my sin. Then I had this vision, I've never had anything like it before, but there was a vision and it was of a glass and it was full with blood. And then that blood was poured out and it was like all over my bedroom floor. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, can you get this blood back into this glass? No, you can't. And then the Holy Spirit used three phrases to remind me of this truths of scripture. The first was this, my blood has already been spilled for you. Matthew 
26 verse 28 says this, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Number two, the sacrifice I made for you is strong enough to cover your sin. Hebrews 9 verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And finally, he said to me, Faria, I love you more than I hate your sin. And that's such so in line with, with God and his love for humanity that it outweighs the sin that separates us from him. The scripture that he gave me was Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love in us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that moment, when I was struggling with my sin, I wanted to walk away from a relationship with Christ because my flesh didn't have the power to overcome sin. I was desperately trying my best to swim when I really just needed to get back in the boat to be in Christ. I thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that reminded me of the truth of scripture. Let's read Romans 8 verse 12 to 13 again. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I thank God that I don't have to rely on my own strength to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Christ has done that for me and for you. And all we now have to do is live in that truth, powered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.